Assalamu alaikum and welcome to this week's edition to Pathway to Peace, a show which takes a look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace and perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace. On Saturday the 11th of November, the Pan-African Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, also known by the acronym PAMA, held its annual peace symposium. This year, the theme of the event was Economic Equity and Eradicating Poverty, the Keys to Peace. For those of our listeners who may not be acquainted by the work carried out by PAMA, it was founded in 1986 by the then supreme head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim movement in Islam, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Hamid. The Pan-African Ahmadiyya Muslim Association UK is a subsidiary association within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of UK. Underpinned by its motto, Love for All, Hatred for None, PAMA is a unique, dynamic and vibrant association serving not only the needs of its members but British society as a whole and the continent of Africa at large. In this episode of Pathway to Peace, we will have the opportunity to hear the keynote address delivered by Imam Azhar Hanif of the United States at this Pan-African Peace Symposium. The master of ceremonies at the event was Ahmed Awusu Konodu and it is his voice that you will hear first as he introduces the keynote speaker. Our keynote speaker tonight is Imam Azar Hanif. Imam Azar Hanif is a national vice president and missionary in chief of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, United States of America. After completing his high school education, he turned his back on a potential basketball career and devoted his life instead to the service of God. He graduated as a missionary from the Jamia Ahmadiyya Rabwa in Pakistan, that is the Communities Theological Seminary and University, and has served as a distinguished minister of religion for over three decades. Imam Azhar Anif is a celebrated writer and an acclaimed orator with a truly dynamic personality and inspirational character. We are honored to have him as a keynote speaker for today's, to, today's um, event. After flying all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to, do, to join us tonight, I have the singular honor to invite our keynote speaker, Imam Azhar Anif, to deliver a keynote speech. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon all of us in this room, in this gathering, in this world, and for all times to come. This is the greeting of peace, which every believer in God Almighty, be they Muslim, Jewish, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, or any faith, begins with a spirit of peace, a prayer of peace, and a greetings of peace. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Respected Amir of UK Jamaat, Rafiq Hayat Sahib. Respected Tommy Colonel Sahib, President of the Pan-African Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, United Kingdom. A distinguished head table of many guests and honored friends who have come and joined us tonight, brothers and sisters of the Pan-African and Ahmadiyya community. Again, greetings of peace to all of you for taking this time to come out on this night to attend this blessed occasion of a peace conference. The world as we know it is indeed a global village and we are interconnected, interdependent for our individual as well as communal, national, global peace and prosperity. 
It reminds of the statement of the Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who said that believers are like one body. When one part of the body aches, the entire body feels the pain. I can extend this word of believers to all of human beings because he was a mercy for all mankind. And so in a sense, all humankind are like one single body. Wherever there's pain, where it's ache, we all feel that pain. As we gather here in United Kingdom for this peace conference, it is the pain collectively, individually, that we feel over these past few years of a hiatus. The pandemic, the economic crises, the fall of nations into inflation and struggles, the wars that have broken out, and the loss of life, the devastation that has brought in its wake for so many individuals. Here I recall the scenes of those doctors standing in windows shouting out messages of hope and goodwill as they were confined, not being able to attend to their normal conditions of life, and how we as a nation and a world recognize their value in a time when we lost so many of our loved ones and dear ones to that ravage of COVID-19. But let me begin also by talking about tonight's special subject, inequity and poverty. The World Bank defines absolute poverty as, quote, a condition of life so characterized by malnutrition, illiteracy, disease, squalid surroundings, high infant mortality, and low life expectancy as to be beneath any reasonable definition of human decency. No man, woman, or child should live in such a condition. But what does that mean in real life terms? Around 719 million human beings around our world are trying to survive this very day on less than $2.15. Put that in terms of pounds, it's one pound and 75 pence. That's what a human being today is trying to survive on in their life and thus decline, uh, declared as international extreme poverty. In this sense, it is very relevant that we're doing this conference with the Pan-African Association because of the 719 million human beings who suffer this way, 389 million, 60% live in sub-Sahara Africa. They do not have enough income to meet even their very basic needs, and more than half of these are children. So again, if we step back for a moment and put that in perspective, there are enough people in the world that, that are in the condition I described as absolute poverty that everyone in Europe can leave this continent and you can fill the entire continent with such people living in such dire, desperate conditions. That is the number of people today at this moment living in such a state, deprived not only of essential needs, but also of opportunity, hope, and basic human dignity. Julius Nayareri, the first president of Tanzania, once said, we are often told that riches are not synonymous with happiness, that life is more than economics. I do not disagree. Nor do I challenge the statement that the gross national product of a country fails to indicate the quality of life there. But it is the well-off who can make such statements. To the starving, good and assured food 
is the quality of life. For a woman who now has to walk miles for water, a village tap might mean life itself. The UN, as a result of this dire condition in the world, set a noble, pivotal goal of eradicating extreme poverty worldwide by 2030, seven more years. This is part of the agenda for sustainable development. But according to a new World Bank study, the world is unlikely to meet that goal. COVID-19 alone has dealt one of the biggest setbacks in efforts since 1990 to eradicate absolute poverty. That pandemic pushed 70 million more people, more than the population of the United Kingdom. 70 million more people were pushed into the condition I described earlier. The Ukraine war is making matters worse with disruption of shipping and food supplies. And thus they say, if the current trends continue, still 575 million people will still be living in extreme poverty and only one third of countries will have halved, half their natural poverty levels by 2030. Given this dire forecast, it is essential to hold conferences such as these to focus more attention on this global challenge and discuss solutions from various perspectives and platforms. In that case, I'd like to share a perspective of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on this vital subject in the words of our Supreme Worldwide Leader, His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmad, who during a peace conference in this very hall has said this, we Ahmadis believe that the Messiah and Mahdi who was to come has indeed arrived in the person of the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, whose name was Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyan. He said that his primary task was to bring mankind closer to God Almighty and draw the attention of mankind towards fulfilling the rights of each other. He said there are two perfect parts of faith, just two. One, love mankind to such an extent that one considers its difficulties one's own difficulties and to pray for all humanity. The other, again, which is central and cardinal to all religions, to love God with all one's heart and soul. It's exactly what is found in Scripture. Jesus Christ was once asked what is the first and foremost commandment. He said, love thy God with all your heart all your might, all your soul. And he said, then one more essential commandment, important just like this, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the essence of religion, and it's the epitome of all the prophets. I'm paraphrasing, but these are the words of Christ, and you'll see this message throughout all studies you would do toward the world religions. People living in the world's poorest nations, His Holiness said, wake up each day wondering if they will be able to feed their children. Their economic plight is truly des desperate and their poverty levels are far beyond our comprehension. We must not consider such hardship as other people's problems. Instead, we must realize that the result of such poverty has severe implications for the wider world and directly affects global peace and security. It's affecting us every single one of us in this global village called Mother Earth. The fact that children have no option but to spend their days collecting water for their families, 
Think about that. Mothers who are here, fathers who are here who have young children. Your child cannot go to school because today your child has to leave early in the morning at the crack of dawn to go out and find water, put that water in a bucket on their head and come back home so your family can just survive with water for life. Why what we see here Humanity First is doing is going to the villages around the world that don't have this access to water and creating water wells so people don't have to walk so far. Today, their poverty and hardship is compounded by modern technology, through which even people living in war-torn or deprived parts of the world are able to see the comfort with which people in developed nations are living and the opportunities that exist for them. Witnessing the great disparity in their circumstances compared to others is cultivating further agitation amongst local people. And these frustrations are being preyed upon by extremists who entice the impoverished with financial reward and by promising a better life for their families. So again, you think of what's happening in the world where societies are being disrupted. The gangs, the cartels, the terror organizations, the mafias, where are they recruiting those who are seeking a better way of life? from these who are impoverished and suffering so much with just basic necessities not being fulfilled. Thus, His Holiness says, most regrettably, the ruling classes in war-torn or deprived nations are more often concerned about preserving their own status and power than helping alleviate the suffering of their people. The result is that those who have nothing come to view their own corrupt leaders with contempt and see the world's major powers as the enemy. You ask the question, go back in the 2010s, what sparked what is called the Arab Spring? How did that happen? What was the catalyst behind that? For a number of years there were protests, there were some petitions against government policies, but one particular event that became the tweet or the video seen around the world was the act of desperation of a Tunisian man, Mohammed Bawazizi, who doused himself with gasoline and lit himself a fire. Why did he do such a thing when life is so precious to all of us? This was his way of protesting as a last straw when he couldn't find a job for years, trying to take care of his family, his own siblings, and finally, the one means he had to take care of himself was a roadside fruit stand. And authorities came and confiscated that stand, mocked him, abused him, beat him, and caused him to feel such a pain, such a suffering, that he decided the only way to protest is to light myself in fire. And thereby, he ignited the firestorm known as the Arab Spring. The Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, once said, take care of the poor. Take care of the poor because you gain wealth because of them. Why is it that we forget that we're not sitting on mounds of gold and silver and oil? We are sitting on the labor of all those who help us to acquire these precious commodities. But he says, it is unfortunate that even in Muslim nations, this pearl of wisdom is overlooked. Earlier this year, June 2023, there was a terrible accident that occurred 
off the coast of Greece, you recall the scene. Over 700 people were on that crammed in a small rusty vessel trying to seek a better life out of their countries. And which countries were they? Palestine, Syria, Egypt, Afghanistan, Pakistan primarily, all of which were Muslim countries. And if they had been following these principles of taking care of their own citizens, no one wants to leave their homeland and put themselves in danger and peril by these long journeys, these boats that sometimes will end up at the bottom of the ocean and all 750 are still missing and declared more or less dead. Only 104 survived. And this was the tragedy, again, that we felt the pain of that moment. But all of these journeys, it's not just then, it's happening even just a few days ago. Migrants in boats who are being drowned in seas. People walking for miles and miles out of South America trying to get into North America. Undergoing treacherous journeys. Or those who are being crammed or hidden in vehicles to make this trek to what is nothing more than a simple request and desire to live, to be, and let be. Azura thus says, His Holiness says, the poor are exploited for their cheap labor. To produce goods, the wages are so low that they hardly provide for two meals a day to a family. However, the rich are making billions of dollars worth of profit from this cheap labor. This is the very thing that is giving birth to restlessness. And there will come a time when, as a result, the poor will erupt forth like lava. This is why Islam instructs that for the sake of removing such discontent, take care of the rights of the others in all your dealings. This is a means of lasting peace. We talk about particular plight in African nations, as we're here again in the Pan-African Association's meeting. This is what His Holiness said. Now certain African nations are raising their voice in protest. And after gaining their independence, the powerful countries of the world are unjustly seizing their wealth under the guise that they are spending it on the development and security of the countries from where the wealth is being usurped. They extract millions of dollars worth of wealth a year and do not spend it on these countries from where the wealth is taken. This is the injustice you see happening in the economic sphere of the world again, this very day at this time. As a result, a hatred for the more developed countries is building in the poorer nations, the outcome of which could be extremely destructive and dangerous. Thus, in conclusion, His Holiness had this advice. I firmly believe that if we truly wish to protect our world and to ensure we leave behind a legacy of opportunity for those who follow us, it is essential that every effort is made to raise the standards of the developing world. Poor nations must not be looked down upon. Rather, we should consider them as part of our family, our brothers and our sisters, part of our global village. By helping the developed nations stand on their own feet and by giving their people opportunities and hope, we will actually be helping our own selves and safeguarding the future of the world. Otherwise, we are already seeing that the poverty and destitution in the developing world is negatively affecting the rest of the world as well. In this sense, a solution. We've talked much about different economic policies and systems 
What is the Islamic economic system per se? It operates on one premise, that premise of one God. All that is in the heaven and earth has been created by God. The Holy Quran repeatedly emphasizes this. It says, quote, to Allah, God Almighty belongs, the kingdom of the heavens and the earth, and Allah has power over all things. Then it teaches that if everything has been created by God for all, some of it should be shared amongst men, women, children, our entire human family. According to Islam, there are four basic needs of man which must always be fulfilled. The Holy Quran states, quote, it is provided for thee that thou wilt not hunger therein. Hunger therein means here in this earth, in this village. Nor will you be naked. You'll always find clothing in this village. You will not thirst therein. You'll never be thirsty in this village. Nor will you be exposed to the sun. You will always have a roof over your head in this village called Mother Earth in which we all live. These are the four fundamental basic rights that every single government and every single human order must define as basic needs and procure for every single human beings. Again, food, clothing, water, and shelter. And if you think about why people are leaving their homes at this moment, before this moment, and after this moment, is to procure these fundamental things. They're not trying to live like the rich and the wealthy, the famous and the fast with all the grandeur and glory. They just want water, food, clothing, and shelter, basic human rights and needs. According to Islam, it is not just the sufferings of one man for which the society of that country is responsible. I'm an American, born and raised. I cannot just be happy because I have a grand standard of living in my country better than the rest of the world. I realize I'm part of the entire human family and such it is the sufferings of any human being in any society, that is to say all of humanity, which has neither geographical boundaries, nor color, nor creed, nor political demarcations. All of us are part of human family and this is where we must always remember is also our responsibility. All societies and states of the world must participate to help mitigate the sufferings. I'm going to repeat this because it's a very important point, and I'm going to share in a very moment why that's so important. All societies and states of the world must participate to help mitigate the sufferings. It is a shame that despite all the advancement in science and technology, the elimination of thirst and hunger has not received the attention it needs. Thus, Mohana Ahmed Ali al-Jabali from Yemen Family Care Association once painfully remarked, listen to his words, it is abysmal that with all the technology in agriculture and harvesting techniques today, we are still talking about famine in the 21st century. 700 million people cannot find food tonight. They're food insecure, and many, half of them are children. And this is the 21st century with all this technology. He says this is not about one country or one continent, and hunger never has one cause. But this is about the injustice 
of the whole of humanity. Perhaps we're not looking at ourselves as part of the problem, but in fact, he says, if we don't step forward, we are indeed, but we can also be part of the solution. If as a human family, we could do one thing, we can eliminate absolute poverty and economic inequity well before 2030. What is that one thing? If we as a human family can do just one thing, I say, we'd have enough resources and wealth. We wouldn't need to have the best scholars to come up and explain to you how. We would just have so much wealth as they had in the early eras of Islam in Spain. They had so much wealth at that time when they were acting upon the teachings of helping all humanity. They didn't know what to do with their wealth. They were taking the gold and, and, and jewels and decorating their mosque with it. If you go to Spain and see Alhambra, still you see a remnant of these things. They had too much wealth because they kept giving, giving, and there was still at a, a point came when there was none left to give. But what is that one thing? A Swahili proverb says, and you might have heard this or versions of it, when the elephants fight, the grass suffers. According to the Institute for Economics and Peace, we would have at our disposal $14.4 trillion each year if we would just stop wars and conflicts. Think about that figure. We would have, as a human family, $14.4 trillion at our disposal to help our people in all the myriad of problems we are talking about and always talk about if we would just stop war and conflict, put down the swords and beat them into plowshares. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You as a Muslim, a fellow Muslim and human being should be safe from your tongue and your hands. These are collective universal teachings. If we live by them, imagine the world we would create and have all the money at our disposal to solve problems. $14.4 trillion means everyone in this room, everyone in this nation, everyone in this world would have $5 a day at your disposal every single one of us. You're talking about a world in which some cannot have $2.15 a day to exist, driving them into absolute poverty. Stop the war, and you'll see how much money human beings have. The current estimates suggest that we need only $37 billion a year until 2030 to tackle both extreme and chronic poverty. 37 billion. We can solve this problem many times over if we have 14.4 trillion at our disposal. We can not just end poverty, you'd end illiteracy, health disparity, you'd end all the other struggles you see, homelessness, joblessness, you'd have so much wealth and God has given us so much wealth, we would not have these problems as a human family in this village called Earth if we did the one thing be men and women of peace. Peacemakers, not warmongers, and end these conflicts. The world is indeed a global village. It is not a poor village. We are not poor. Just last year alone, from the tithing, the, the charity that is given by faith groups, we have enough money to take care of these issues. But we then spend that money on buildings, and apparatus and this and that, and we keep forgetting the premise that we are all part of the human family and must do our best to utilize God's resources as trustees. 
and take care of these problems. Eradicate poverty. Eradicate illiteracy. Eradicate hunger. That's the pain we should feel right now. We're about to have a grand meal from the Pan-African Association, a wonderful meal. The meal we will eat tonight, think about that. If I don't feel the pain of someone who's suffering in the world, I will eat, I will digest, I'll go home and I'll sleep and forget. Tonight, someone does not have enough food to feed their own selves and their own family. And the Prophet of Islam said, you cannot sleep at night if your neighbor is going hungry. You cannot sleep at night if your neighbor is going hungry. But what is a neighbor in the world? The Quran speaks about neighborhood as not just being the one who's near you, but even the one who's beyond the relations of your neighborhood. And almost in a sense that all human beings are part of the neighborhood of mankind. So again, even personally, if tonight we want to do something, think about this and put a little money aside and help a neighbor, help someone in this world. And if half the world can do it, the other half would be in good condition and get past all the struggles we, are, we keep talking about. But in the end, I want to just share one final remark. And with great humility, in 1980, there was a conference that took place here in the United Kingdom. It's an annual conference that takes place every year by the community. And on this year, the third Khalifa, the third spiritual head of our community, he came and he addressed the crowd. And he explained the slogan you always hear in these, these occasions, and people always talk about, love for all, hatred for none. But he didn't just say the word. He was the one, in fact, who first started the slogan in our community. And he explained the very spiritual foundation of this slogan and the religious teachings that support why this is our slogan, why this is part of our faith, why this is a solution to the problems we see in the world. He said, and I quote, one of the most difficult problems humanity faces in every century, in every single century, is the distribution of wealth. I have picked up a few verses to illustrate how the Holy Quran and the compassion of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, and his anxiety about man is shown by these verses. God says in the Holy Quran, in their wealth was a share for those who asked and those who were unable to ask. There are noble people in the world who will not never ask and beg. They will never go near a person and show their need. But they are still in need and though so their concern is there. There are others part of this world. But here he says, Allah does not say in their wealth those Muslims who ask and those Muslims who are unable to ask. What is it clear to mankind is this. In their wealth, the wealth of all of these members of this faith community, those who asked, whether they are Muslims or they are not Muslims, those who ask and those who are unable to ask, again, whether Muslim or non-Muslims, there is in their wealth a right upon them as well. This, he said, is a very sweet principle of great importance stated in a very few words. All of us 
are included in this commandment to share the wealth, we they Muslim or non-Muslim. Again, he says, the general commandment is, quote, be benevolent towards your fellow beings. For Allah loves those who are benevolent to their fellow beings. Then he says this most important remark, summing up what it means to say love for all, hatred for none. It is truly embedded in the scripture and in the Quran. He said, I have read the Holy Quran. I think attentively, if not thousands of times, certainly hundreds of times in my life. He was, in fact, a hafiz of the Quran. He would memorize the Quran from, from cover to cover, and he would read this holy scripture on a very regular basis, as he's saying. He says, from beginning to the end, there is not a single verse in the Holy Quran which differentiates in the worldly affairs between a Muslim and one who is not a Muslim. So everyone who finds peace in this great book comes to the conclusion that the mercy of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, and the mercy of the final and last complete law, the Quran he brought to man from Allah, is really meant for all human beings. The Quran is not my book. God is not my God. The Prophet is not my messenger. This is not my land, my world, my anything. It is our, 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 is what he's trying to say, including every single one. There was a great poet who once said, I wanted to invite my friends into my home, but my home was much too small. Why, he's a poor man. But I wanted to invite my friends into my home, but my home was much too small. And so I pushed out the walls of my home until at last the entire world became my home and all people became my friends. This is the point that is trying to be said here about the Holy Quran. The Quran is an ocean for the entire human being, is from the Lord of all mankind, of all creation, and every single verse he says in this book is meant for everyone, not only for those who believe in Islam or believe in Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings behind them. This is why he says, I always declare the gist of the teachings of Islam is love for all, hatred for none. And if we live by this and promote this and stand by this, I'm sure you can eradicate all the things I talked about, poverty, illiteracy, homelessness, joblessness, all the issues you see in the world because that wealth will be a collective wealth of all human beings. A practical example of such love for humanity. Our hearts are grieved these days, no doubt. Every single day it's grieved. You watch the scenes of what's happening in the world, especially in the land called the Holy Land, the land of the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Jesus. It is there that our hearts are grieved and we see so much pain and suffering and all throughout this part of the world. I go back now to the year 2016 in the Holy Land and I share with you an insight that will give us all hope and a moment to reflect and to pause. Devastating forest fires raged throughout Haifa, Israel in November 2016 that left 70,000 people homeless. 
The Moriah congregation, the oldest synagogue, was badly damaged by the flames. And the estimated cost of repair was staggering for this small congregation. But the local Maronite Christian and Ahmadiyya Muslim communities under the leadership of Father Yusuf Yaqub and Muhammad Sharif Odeh stepped in to provide the wood, do the carpenting work, and donate needed objects to get the synagogue up and running. In addition, both communities opened their facilities and even private homes to provide beds and food for those who had to be evacuated from their homes, whatever their religious affiliation may have been. It was a story of shared values and shared humanity in a time of crisis and calm. That rabbi of that congregation, Rabbi Hayun, said he looked forward to the day when such interfaith amity would be the norm in Israel rather than the exception. Father Yaqub declared that he and his two colleagues refused to allow dark fears to overcome the light, refused to allow dark fears to overcome the light and love that beats in the hearts of so many Israeli citizens. And lastly, the emir, the national president of the Amity community in Haifa, Muhammad Sharif Odeh, declared his personal motto to be love for all, hatred for none. He said, we have to put out the physical fires and we also have to put out the fire of hate. Allah is the one sovereign and we have to look after every single human being. This is the message nowadays that is so needed in the world. The Holy Land, Russia, Ukraine, Somalia, Sudan, hundreds of thousands have died in Ethiopia in the last few years. And even Muslims, we talked about earlier, we saw the film, the Prophet of Islam went first to Ethiopia for refuge. In the last few years, they lost hundreds of thousands to war in an already ravaged land. This message is so critical and so important and so pivotal for peace, first in our hearts, then in our homelands. And God willing, if we all would magnify this word and this spirit in the very global village called Earth, and this is our last prayer, may God bring such peace into our human order. May God elevate us, even if poor, to be rich in spirit with love for humanity. And may God guide our leaders and our nations to have the spirit in all their policies to end these wars, stop the crises, and begin to live in peace and justice for all. Thank you very much for your time. Assalamualaikum. And there you have it. That was the full keynote address uh, delivered by Imam Azur Hanif, um, who is actually the deputy uh, president of the, um, the Muslim community in the United States, and is also serving as the missionary in charge uh, for the country as well. Um, I mean, just probably just short of uh, sorry, 40 minutes there. Um, so I should say a, a warm welcome, assalamualaikum to Shams, <laughs> who's also with me in the studio um, as we were listening to that address. And, uh, and I and I remember we were talking about this before, we've heard it before as well. Um, and we felt that it, it wouldn't be right to sort of interject uh, within within the, the sort of the speech, but rather should allow it to sort of play in full. Um, but um, 
I was just going to say, I mean, we've obviously heard of uh, respected uh, Azhani sort of speeches in the past. He certainly has a gift, wouldn't you say? Yeah, 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 for sure. He has a, yeah, he has a really sort of eloquent way of delivering a message, right, which just gets the emotions going. Uh, yeah. r- real sort of, I suppose, yeah, real, it, real gift there. It, to oh, reach he, he just the has, hearts. yeah, that, that would have exactly that. He, that the ability to reach the hearts. That's there's no other way of putting it, really. He. And 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 obviously we'll we'll discuss that in sort of this, the 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 speech that he just delivered now. But you know, regardless of your sort of background, you know, be it you know wherever you're from. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, he's he's been living in the United States for a long, long time. But you know, for those who are in the hall that evening, have come from a variety of backgrounds, um, outside of the UK as well. Um, but it, he just has this ability where sort of uh, the issues that he brings up, you feel like. Yeah, he kind of relates to you. Makes you what what it does. It makes you reflect, rather, I'd say, self reflect. It makes you think, wow, the situation, the plight of others, and then you look at your own situation, and um, you can only be humbled, really. Well, this is it. There's there's no spin being put on those words. There's no there's nothing. It's pure fact of the dire situation that the world is actually in. And yes, he has he has a unique ability to to present it in a in a way, but it's the fact it, that it is actually fact and yeah. that, you know, I don't think there can be anyone that can listen to that and not, yeah. you know, really sort of... Be affected by be it. Be affected by it, yeah, exactly. Well, so let's sort of move to some of the points um, that he made in his address then. Um, I mean, and in no particular, I mean, I'll sort of, the, the notes I've taken as I was listening to that speech, I think, you know, first off, you know, the fact that he sort of, he mentions that, you know, for, if... if yeah, seven hundred and nineteen million human beings around the world are trying to survive on on pretty much two dollars fifteen, um, which you know, obviously, the, the fact that obviously he was delivering that that address here here in London equates to one pound seventy five um, a day, a, a day, not even like a, you know for for a meal, um, and it just sort of, and I think he made the point that you know if all the people of Europe were just to just leave essentially you know you could fill the whole of Europe you know with 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 all those who sort of are are, are starving basically are suffering uh, and, yeah and, that when i heard that you know you can't even fathom that yeah. you know the whole of Europe can literally yeah up and be put into that yeah that scenario yeah he um and i know we've done shows on this particular topic before but he sort of made mention of uh he related to sort of a point made by the first president of Tanzania, Tanzania where where he said that, um, you know, it's more to, you know, happiness is, is more to happiness than essentially just economics, essentially, in terms of life. And he says, he says that, um, he, he, he quotes him as saying, you know, we are often told that riches are not synonymous with happiness, that life is more than economics. And he goes, uh, I do not disagree, nor do I challenge the statement that the gross, uh, gross national product, the GDP, as we all know it by of a country, fails to indicate the quality of life. Um and I know there's been many shows that we've sort of covered on this, but it's, it, it is it is a sad truth, isn't it, that we keep being measured, each country sort of measured by its sort of GDP. And GDP doesn't take, it doesn't take by any means the real issues, you know, the the, the sentiments of the country, you know, the well, they say there's such a thing as a happiness index even, but it doesn't factor in any of that, does it? Yeah, I find it really interesting, the link that is often made between uh, you know your personal sort of financial economic situation yeah. and happiness. Yeah. Because I think as we we briefly touched upon uh, earlier, we, you know we were having a conversation that yeah. actually it's 
is it even you know for someone living in a com- entirely different world different yeah. setting different sort of culture yeah. you know that that money is doing something completely different for them and you know it may even be the reason why they're going into an element of depression unhappiness or um you know being disillusioned with life but yeah. for those who need it to survive yeah you can't then say oh if we give them a bit of money they'll be happy it's, it's yeah. a completely it's a non sort of you you can't link those two because at that point you know as 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 our news is, is is saying that 1 pound 75 yeah and x million don't have children included right don't have food yeah. so for them you can't you can't attribute money with happiness yeah. you just have to attribute money with the ability to live yeah um and that's why yeah i think sometimes that that link and to try and sort of um you know the even you know the, the index happiness and all of these things that come up i, I just yeah. don't think it's a true reflection of yeah. what money means to certain people yeah. and what it means to those who have access yeah. to money it's two completely different things and yet uh, yeah and what's what's really sad actually and he he does make this point as well in his speech where and yet, where there are countries out there who, you know, are <coughs> massively starving and access to water is very, very limited, and yet um, they've got sort of the, the technological means to get sort of mobile phones, internet access, and so con- as a consequence, people, are, you know, those less fortunate in society are able to see the lifestyles of the rich and famous, basically, and. And that sort of compounds further a sort of this inferiority complex or, yeah. you know, they're much better off than us. And that, in a way, sort of, you know, breeds to, you know, within those countries, you know, the the sort of the maybe those, I'm not sure how to sort of describe it, but maybe those in authority there or, or maybe or, or, or those who want to take advantage, I should say. They sort of take them down this path where it sort of breeds extremism, mm. you know, saying that, you know, you're, this is what you can have, you know, take it, it's yours. And, you know, they go out. You know, through other means, criminal means to sort of achieve, you know, and, to, to sort uh, of get rich quickly type sort of approach. What, 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 what? This is it, isn't it? This is why. Um, it's probably another show in this, but mm. you know, when you see, um, what are those shops called? You know, those betting centers, and yeah. where you can make um, little bets or whatever. It, yeah. I forgot what the, what they're called, but they're always in those places mm. where you know the neighborhood is poor. Yes. Oh yes. Um, and um, which is com- common in this country yeah, as well. Exactly, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, that's done to highlight material success. Yes. And the and it, and it's always done, you know, towards those who are in dire need of it yeah. to then make them behave in extreme ways, in yeah. ways that are not beneficial for their situation and their life at that moment, but to take those extreme measures to try and get that material success and i think it's it's the same thing right when you're living in extreme poverty and, yeah. and you have the ability to see someone with a huge house and a really nice calm whatever yeah there is all obviously gonna it's gonna breed this sort of i suppose yeah. feeling of resentment or uh, absolutely um and then it sort of makes and then i suppose that there's one of the central sort of you know themes of his speech was the fact that you know he draws attention to to the to the audience there of the fact that I suppose the central pillar uh, of of our belief, you know, belief in you know in God, and our sort of services, you know, rendering the rights to God that are owed to God, 
and that the rights that are owed to our fellow man, you know, effectively that is the, the essence of faith. Two sides of the same coin, essentially. And he, you know, made mention of the fact that that is really, it's not something unique to Islam, but it's probably the, the golden thread amongst all faiths, I guess. Yeah, and I think, you know, it is in sort of the literature, our general understanding that even if, you know, the, the rights due to God are, you know, somewhat sort of neglected to a certain degree, it may be something that's forgiven, but God has sort of categorically said that this isn't something, like, in essence, showing so much importance that actually your rights due to man, um, yeah, are, are so important. Because I suppose essentially in Islam, we believe that nothing is ours, like yeah. wealth, uh, money, whatever it is that we it's owe. It's all on trust, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And that's why Islam lays, you know, a huge emphasis on the distribution of wealth. Yeah. So that you're not in a world which is like this, where you know on on one end of the scale it's extreme riches and materialism, and on the other end of the scale it's unable to even feed yeah. uh, for the day. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Um, you obviously remarked about the fact that the sort of the COVID pandemic has sort of really set back. You know, has increased the you know the poverty situation as well, but has pushed another seventy million more people equated to effectively almost like the population of the whole of the United Kingdom um, back into poverty, um, which, you know, and, and then obviously cement the fact that the war, um, you know, obviously, the and this is before, obviously, the conflict happening, obviously, in the Middle East, but the, 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 the Ukraine-Russia uh, sort of, you know, wars happening, the, the effect it's had on sort of supply chains has really, and I think everyone, there's probably not anyone that hasn't been sort of affected by that, um, you know, it's having effects even right down to sort of we were just talking earlier, even before the show, about sort of the effect on the building trade is having on sort of you know supply of materials. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, in that it reminded me of um, he he mentions a fantastic proverb, uh, which you know we were just talking about how maybe that's what the, the title of this show should have been. Where he he this really profound proverb which states um, you know when 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 elephants fight the grass suffers, mm. and I, and it, you can't help but think you know the the conflicts that we see around the world at the hands of sort of those in authority or those in leadership, the decisions that they take and sort of you know bring us into war basically, the effects it has on on everyone else they they suffer the consequences. Yeah, for sure, and I and I think. Um you know, it's a bit it's a bit unfair to be living in this country and, and being able to sort of go out and protest and march. The real effects, you know, are those that are sort of suffering, mm. day, you know, genuinely sort of that day to day um, because of those decisions that are being taken by, by, by those in power. But just want to just wanted to go back to you mentioned COVID yeah. and what that done and how it sort of, you know, sped up the situation or made made the situation a lot worse you know yeah. at one point during during covid it felt as if it felt as if we were turning the tide in terms of uh, a moral or humanitarian perspective it felt like people yes. were becoming closer and cared a bit more for each other it felt like neighbors were asking about each other and helping each other and it felt like you know the at least our society sort of came together somewhat yeah. um in support of one another yeah. um but Again, you know, as soon as we've sort of come out on the other side of that, we yeah. see that actually that's that was maybe a momentary yeah. fear, um, which 
caused uh, that behavior i mean it was nice yeah um you know to 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 finally step back and actually care about human beings for once and yeah. not just yeah um what the paycheck is at the end of the month but yeah you know again another thing sort of we were we were kind of discussing off air is that yeah for you know the, the poverty that we see some people go through yeah. um in one part of the world is you know being able to provide basic basic human needs yeah um food water you know clothes yeah um it was also mentioned you know education you yeah. know basic but for us living in this country like you know we we were discussing that actually poverty means something else and yeah for for us here it's like you know our poverty yeah it's also financial people are struggling but it's like this sort of mental pro- poverty you know we yes. we we don't come together yes. uh, we don't support one another and this is what you know referring to the the the, the rights of man yeah. and the fact that you know islam says uh, lays such great emphasis on 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 making sure you you feel the pain of your brother right yeah. and i think that's the poverty that we suffer from here we don't feel the pain of our brothers we don't um feel the pain of someone sort of living with us and you know we're all sort of secluded in our own homes our own ways and you sort of mentioned you know the nuclear family that sort of yeah. living where it's just you and your home yeah. and that's it and that's unfortunate you know because we we do have the means to provide um you know our, our living system means that we'll always you know have food on the table to some degree and and we'll always be clothed and education will always be there and healthcare will always be there so i think our poverty is something different that's something to understand but the the essence is still the same that we must care for one another yeah. whether that's financially or whether that's you know no, sort of mentally no agreed agreed well only for time reasons, I'm afraid, uh, we have to bring this uh, additional Pathways piece to a close. But we're back at the same time next week. A big thank you to Pama for allowing us to replay the keynote address in full. You can find out more about the continuing services to humanity uh, by visiting pama.org.uk. And a big thank you to fellow Pathway to Peace presenter Shams Najam for his analysis and assessment of the key issues. But before we end, here's a quote taken from the late second caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community. Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmoud Ahmed, from his book, The Economic System of Islam, where he offers the following timeless advice to bringing about a pathway to peace. He says, after reflecting over these important matters, a reasonable person would conclude that a practical economic system must leave room for religion. Short-term economic considerations must not permit that the longer-term consequence of an economic system be ignored. Only that economic system would be beneficial to humanity, which fulfills everyone's basic needs, but also promotes healthy competition among individuals while curbing unhealthy rivalry. Thus, the real solution to the problem is that 1. In accordance with the Islamic teaching, the rights of the poor should be safeguarded. And 2. The hopes and aspirations of people should be fostered. Hope and aspirations are vital for national progress. A nation where people no longer have aspirations or where its poor are denied basic rights, is inevitably destined to its ruin.